morning, Journey. Let me encourage you this morning to grab your Bible or open up your app to the book of Ephesians. We're continuing our, our series of messages called Masterpiece in Progress. As, as we look at the book of Ephesians and how God calls us for what we are, and that is a masterpiece in his eyes, always in progress toward the goal that he has for us. Now, just kind of reminder, the book of Ephesians is actually originally a letter that was writ written to a church in the town of Ephesus and the surrounding region. And it was written to a group of Jesus followers in that region. And, and the author is writing really to everyday believers in his time. Everyday believers who are just trying to follow the teachings of Jesus just like us. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, the, the author, opens up the letter by saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So that phrase, the holy people in Ephesus, those people would just call themselves disciples of Jesus. Not the original 12 disciples, but, but just followers of Jesus just like we are. Now, let, let me take a sidebar for a moment and, and talk about what, what does that mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What, what is a disciple? Well, we define it right from Scripture, from Matthew 4, 19, where it says, come follow me, this is Jesus talking, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So a disciple then is someone who is following Jesus, who has answered that call to come follow me. You know, that means submitting to Jesus as king, trusting in him, putting our faith and our allegiance in him. So a disciple is following Jesus, but a disciple is also a, someone who is being changed by Jesus. That's where he says, I will make you. So God transforms us into the image of his son from the inside out through the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And the third part of being a disciple is living on mission and committed, committing to the mission of Jesus. And that's where he says to each one of us, I will make you fishers of men. That's the job that he gives to each one of us. So using that description, using that scripture as our definition of a disciple, we see it's really a whole lifestyle package, isn't it? It means when Jesus says following, that involves our head. It's making that decision to follow Jesus. Being changed involves our heart, changed from the inside out, and committed to the mission of Jesus is living out that mission with our hands. So disciple-making really is that intentional process of helping people do that very thing, helping people trust and follow Jesus, helping others take on the character of Jesus Christ in their life. So now back to the letter of Ephesians that's the kind of people that Paul is writing this letter to. Those that have said yes and are following Jesus. Those that are in this process of being changed uh, into that masterpiece that God calls us to be. And those people that have committed to live on mission for him. And he wants to help this early church. He wants to help the believers in this early church understand what does that look like in their day-to-day -day living. You know, how, how do they take that from, you know, theology and just this concept into living out every aspect of that in our daily life? So the Apostle Paul, when he writes this letter, he's basically saying, now that you're following Jesus, 
Let God continue to change your heart. Live it out with your hands. Live out your whole life as a disciple. And now here's some encouragement to do that very thing. And hence we have the letter of Ephesians. So back in chapter 4, we saw the shift that takes place in Ephesians. If, if you remember, the first three chapters are about theology and doctrine. And chapter 4, the shift takes place. And now it becomes, how do you live your life based on that? How, how does that impact and change your life? And last week, Adam walked that, that through for us. And he, and he talked about what do we put off in, in our old life? And what, and what do we put on as new believers, as followers of Jesus? Well, that same thought then and trend continues in our text today in chapter 5 of Ephesians. And as, as we look at chapter 5, we, we see that our author, Paul, he does not hold back at all in this passage. Yet we need a scripture like this in, in the Bible to really move us where God wants us to be. So Paul describes in our text today um, how, we live a, how we live our lives as a disciple and he uses the word walk to do so. You know, he describes our life as a walk. Maybe you've heard the phrase, you know, you, you talk the talk, but do you walk the walk? Implying, you know, are, are you living your life according to what you're talking about? So when you see that word in Scripture, walk, sometimes it's literally translated as life. It's about how you go about your life and what's on the inside reflects your walk, what we do each day. So, so we're going to see in our scripture today that we need to walk as imitators of God. So he describes it in three ways. So he says, walk in love, walk in light, and walk in wisdom. And let's begin by looking at this walk in love that he says. So we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 5, where Paul says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So being a disciple then means that we love like the Father. Now, it's been said that imitation is the sin most sincere form of flattery. I mean, that, that's true, isn't it? The, the people that you want to be like, you imitate. You imitate sometimes their their. Uh, language, their body language, how they dress, you know, what they do. You know, we want to aspire to be like people sometimes in our lives for, for good or bad. In, in college, I wanted to imitate my, my Bible professors that I had. And we had this preaching professor that was really good, like at using hand motions when he would preach. And, and I, so I would try to imitate him, but I never got the timing down right. I'd be like, and Jesus loves you. You know, and it's super awkward because I was just trying to be like him and I just never had that rhythm down and so I gave up trying. Or I'd copy my theology professor's deep furrowed brow. He'd kind of lean over the pulpit when he would talk about the word of God and he would start scorning like that. And so I tried that and realized, oh, that didn't work. And so I would try to imitate my old, Old Testament professor's passion for Scripture when he would preach the Old Testament. And each time I failed because I was trying to be something that I was not and I was imitating people and not my Heavenly Father. You know, you think about you growing up or your own children. Our children imitate us, don't we? Or you imitate your, your parents. And that's kind of scary to think about as a, as a parent, that my kids are like watching me and copying me. 
I hope they just imitate the good stuff, right? But we, we grow up copying our parents and imitating them in so many ways. You know, when, when, when our kids were young, when I'd break up my guitar and play in the living room, man, they would grab their ukulele or their little cheap guitars later on, and we'd have jam sessions in the living room because they wanted to play guitar like Dad did. And as family, we know each other intimately enough that we can copy things in life. We can imitate our family, our parents, because we know each other intimately. Well, there's a foundation foundational principle in Ephesians and that that is that we are adopted into God's family it tells us that that we are made sons and daughters in fact it says that we are dearly loved children and as children as dearly loved children we get to know the father intimately and see how who he is so there's really two verses in Ephesians that kind of go hand in hand. Because in chapter 1, verse 5, it tells us that God predestined us to adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. And then here in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Because we're in his family, because we, can, we have that intimate relationship with him, we can then imitate God as our Father. Now, if we try to do that our own, we're going to fail. If we try to imitate God just by our own will and strength, uh, we won't live up to it. But through the Holy Spirit working in our life, through the Holy Spirit changing us, that's why we are a masterpiece in progress, we can begin to imitate our Father and love like the Father. But the Scripture also tells us to love like the Son. Now, in order to, to describe what that love looks like, our author Paul moves from God the Father to his Son and the cross of Christ. Because we can't understand the Father's love for us without uh, taking in the cross of Christ. So how are we to love? Paul says, look at the cross. The cross is a demonstration of how much God loves us. It's a sacrificial kind of love that puts other people in front of us. And as, as we look to the cross, we realize that we need God's redeeming grace to love like he calls us to, to make it possible. We need a Savior who forgives. We need the Holy Spirit in us to empower us. And this is really where we see the two parts of Ephesians meshing and coming together. The gospel story of part one and our story of part two. The gospel story that Ephesians laid out for us is that Christ Jesus as Messiah, he came to earth, he lived a perfect and sinless life, he kept the law perfectly, and then he died on the cross as a substitute for our sins. He took the penalty that we deserved upon him, and then he rose back from the dead on our behalf. That's the gospel story, and it interacts with our story, and our story begins... When, when we repent and rethink how we live. When we turn away from that old self that, that chapter 4 talks about, when we put on the new self, and when we start to walk in faith, when we put our allegiance in Jesus Christ, and then he receives us as his child. And, and he begins to change us. We, we begin to walk in his ways and follow his teachings. The Holy Spirit indwells us and empowers us to love like Jesus. 
And this is how the gospel story changes who we are. And that pattern of love is modeled after Jesus. Because verse 2 of our text, he says, Walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. So loving like Jesus involves giving ourselves away for the good of another. It, It involves sacrifice. It involves action. It involves putting others above self. I've mentioned before that I enjoy reading biographies and stories of missionaries through the ages. And one of the more impactful stories that I read is the story of uh, Amy Carmichael, who was, who was a missionary to India and spent much of her life caring for ill-treated children in India. In fact, um, at one, one time in the history of India, um, children would be taken into forced prostitution in the Hindu temples. And she would go in and rescue them and raise them as her, as her own. And she founded a mission called the Donover Fellowship in 1901 and just impacted thousands of children's lives during her time in India. Well, she passed away in 1951 at the age of 83. And before she died, she, she asked her, the children of her mission, just said she didn't, didn't want a gravestone put over her. Well, the the children loved her so much and cared for her that they decided to uh, put up a birdbath as as a symbol of her care and compassion. And it simply said, Amma, on it, which means mother. And they went on to tell how much Amy Carmichael lived out this scripture that we are looking at in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And she had a saying that she would continually remind the students of and her children of. And she said, one can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And referring to that phrase in the scripture from Ephesians 2, one of her biographers wrote, her life was the most fragrant and the most most joyfully sacrificial that I ever knew. You know, walking in love is possible because the gospel changes us. And her life was just one example how she allowed God to change her so that she could pour her life into the children of India. But our walk doesn't stop there because our text goes on and we see that being a disciple also means that we walk in light. So we pick back up down in verse 8 of Ephesians 5 where it says, For you were once darkness, but now, now you are light in the Lord. So live, or there's that word, live, walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Journey, when we are walking in the light, we live our lives so much so that it it exalts God. Not our own desires, not our own flesh, but we want to point people to God. So in doing so, the Apostle Paul, he really calls out and labels sin in a very realistic way. In fact, looking back at verse 3, he says, But among you, among you as disciples, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving 
Paul's use of the word sexual immorality and impurity is a broad word and a broad term that covers all kinds of sexual sins. And as he lists those things of impurity and sexual immorality and greed, those are all self-centered ways, aren't they? Sexual sin, greed, obscene talk are about elevating self and putting selfish desires above other people and lowering other people as a result. So that kind of mindset, that, that, that position exalts self. And in our world today, in our culture today, we, the temptation is to rename sin or redefine sin or manage away sin so that in our minds we think we're getting away with it and not, not uh, being disobedient to these scriptures. But that's not what scripture teaches. In fact, in Colossians chapter 3, it tells us that we are to kill sin. There it simply says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And we can look at other, other scriptures throughout the New Testament that tell the same thing, that tell us to flee from sexual immorality, and that it is God's will that, that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. And last week, that was what that text was all about when Adam laid out, you know, put that old stuff off. Put it off and don't pick it back up again. And clothe yourself, put on Jesus Christ and begin to walk in the light. And when we do walk in the light, we exalt God, but we also display what the fruit of light is like. Looking back at our text, you know, Paul says that the fruit of light, well, he says it consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And then he goes on and he says, find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. And that is why it says, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So how do we display light? I mean, it tells us to do so. How do we do it? Well, one of the strongest ways that you can do it, that we can do it, is just to know who we are in Christ. We display light by just living out our identity as disciples of Jesus. So who are we? Well, that scripture tells us we are light in the Lord. Who are we? We are children of light. So let's begin to live like it. You know, Benjamin Franklin told the story one time of how he tried to convince the citizens of Philadelphia to light the streets at night with streetlights. And he was trying to convince them that it would protect against crime, it would make travel easier, you wouldn't trip over the stones, and you could do evening activities if you would just light the streets of Philadelphia. But he couldn't convince them. He tried to debate his way into that. Nobody would follow it. Uh, so he decided just to show his neighbors through how compelling it is by setting out a single light. So he bought a lantern polished it up nice, and he placed it on a long bracket uh, over the front door of his house, and he lit the wick. 
And then his neighbors began to notice the warm glow in front of his house. And one by one, his, na- the, his neighbors began to imitate that and copy that. And soon before they knew it, the whole city of Philadelphia had streetlights on every street. You know, I, I could tell you, for example, that, that I own a flashlight with 3,000 lumens. And you're like, yeah, big deal, what's 3,000 lumens? Well, I could tell you that, or I could just turn it on and show you. And right away, you know how much light that is. You know, the military, for example, they use tactical flashlights that cost about like $300 or more, three to $500. And you think, 300 bucks for a flashlight? Well, all you got to do is turn it on at night, and you know why it's 300 bucks, Because you can see it. It demonstrates its efficiency and its effectiveness. So, journey, walking in the light is transformative. It changes us. It exposes, not only exposes sin, but it begins to transform us as disciples. Well, there's one more walk that Paul talks about in this passage, and he says we are to walk in wisdom. Picking back up in verse 15, he says, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. You know, I love just these simple closing words of this passage And as you read it, it just sounds like here's a man who really cares for these believers, who truly loves this church in Ephesus. And remember, he had spent time with them. If you look back in in the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church, you read Acts and you see that Paul invested his life into these people. He spent time with them a few years, and as he left, literally tears were shed when he left the city of Ephesus. So here he is kind of writing back to them with words of a caring, passionate father. And he says simply just be wise, people. Be wise, you know, be careful. Not as unwise people, live as wise people. And then he basically says make good choices. Make the most of every opportunity or other versions, other translations say make, make the most of your time. And then he says, seek to understand what the Lord's will is. I want to invite the praise team back up this morning. And and as they do, I read those final words, and it just sounds like like fatherly advice to me, stuff that I've heard from, from my dad. Things like, you know, Dave, you know what's right, so pursue that. And Dave, don't, don't waste your time on foolish stuff, so just do what's right. And focus on the Lord's will for your life. And if we just did those three things, man, we would be way far ahead. Do what's right. Don't waste your time. And focus on the Lord's will for your life. Theodore Levitt was an instructor at Harvard Business School. And he said that experience comes from what we have done. And wisdom comes from what we have done badly. And scholar and theologian J.I. Packer wrote in his book, Knowing God, that wisdom is the power to see the big picture 
and then the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. Journey, being a disciple changes how we walk. And we are called to learn how to walk in a new way. And the highest goal that we have is to imitate our Father as we see Him in the Son. So walk in love, walk in light, and walk in wisdom. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the encouragement that we find and, and see in Ephesians chapter 5 today. And Father, help us to live our lives in such a way that we love sacrificially, that we are a light to those around us, and that we seek your wisdom and plan for us. So Father, we know that we are a work in, in progress, that you continually to transform us and change us from the inside out. So, Father, we ask that you do that today. May we leave here different from when we walked in. And we know we can do so through the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. We ask this in your name. Amen. Let's stand together as we continue to worship.